Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. Life Group Leaders, we are here again thinking about the mission of our church. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount entitled The Countercultural Kingdom. And this sermon was entitled The Narrow Way. And the preaching point from this week's sermon was this, that entrance into the kingdom of God is only possible through the substitutionary work of Jesus on our behalf, which is made evident by a lifelong, joyful submission to God. That text that we had studied this week is found in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, which read this way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What a heavy text to study this Sunday but how necessary uh, in our day to look at a text like this and make sure that we as Christians are understanding salvation correctly, are understanding the exclusivity of Christ, what goes with following Christ, uh, and the joy that is set before us in Christ, in the walk of the saints uh, we call faithful obedience. And uh, as we looked at this sermon I expressed uh, the meaning of the sermon in these three points. Number one, we need to stress the exclusivity of Christ. If Christ says to enter the narrow gate, and he says in John 10, 9, that I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And Acts 4 tells us in verses 11 and 12 that there is salvation in no one else. There is no door Uh, for which anyone would enter and be saved. There is no gate, there is no other way for anyone to enter into salvation apart from Jesus Christ, that that substitution of him in place of us when it comes to our sin and we receive his righteousness in place of our insufficiencies, this reality that we have the exclusive means of entrance into the kingdom of God through Christ, and we have to stress the exclusivity of Christ. And when we live in uh, such uh, a world uh, that has many views of uh, the creation of the world, many views of uh, divinity, many views of uh, atheism, agnosticism, naturalism, humanism, and postmodernism, which is often... Uh, comprised of a, a couple of those, and you have pantheism, panentheism. We recognize all these different worldviews, and all of uh, the world has different views of the gate that leads to life. And we have in Scripture revealed to us that there is one way, and we have to stress the exclusivity of Christ as the only way, the only means to the Father. Uh, does I don't have to spend so much time on that because you, if you're a life group leader, this is something that 
that you recognize well. You can go to a lot of churches and hear about the exclusivity of Christ, which is such a wonderful doctrine and such an important doctrine that needs to be fleshed out regularly uh, in the church. But let us go to point number two, which is something that we're often not hearing in the pulpits as often as we would hope, and that is that we ought to, as we've entered into that narrow gate, that the righteousness of Christ is on us, the new heart has been given to us, the heart of stone has been removed, the Spirit uh, has been given to us, proceeding from the Father, given to us to walk us in obedience and to cause us to bear fruit. Our life should be, number two, displaying lifelong joyful obedience to God. And we often think about the word obedience, life group leaders, and we think about it, if we're not careful, only in term, only, only in terms of obligation and drudgery. And we must be careful with s- uh, making synonymous the, the word obedience and the word drudgery or dry. We recognize that when we that our lifelong ambition is to submit and follow Christ. His Holy Spirit is going to be within us, and that fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5 is love, joy, and that reality that we can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, both obey God in the joy that God provides, and that as it's working in us, even as we read in Psalm 1611, that in His presence there is fullness of Joy, And so we have to, we must grasp and hold on to the reality of obedience and joy as being mutually compatible and necessary in the Christian faith. Are there going to be times where there is uh, weeping or there is uh, some self-denial? Absolutely. With this shell of the body we have called the flesh, we're going to recognize there's going to be a lot of of uh, denial of ourselves, taking up the cross, but we cannot deny the nature of joy uh, in the life of the Christian when it comes to obediently following Christ. And uh, this is such an important part of the Christian faith when it comes to regeneration uh, because we've lost this in so many ways in Christianity today that there is at all this expectation that I should be changed. I was listening to a sermon the other day that says, if you got ran over by a truck on the highway and you come up to somebody and they're going to look at you and gonna say, you are different. Well, obviously you got ran over by a truck, but yet we think uh, when we have encountered the God of the universe and then we say that he, we have, we have, uh, gone before him or we have met him or he has come into us uh, that yet we can continue walking in life unchanged and the point of that illustration from the preacher was like how can we say that a truck has more power a truck has more life-changing capability than the god of the universe and so we have to be careful when it comes to thinking about salvation as something that seals our eternity but yet does nothing between here and our death. Salvation is redeeming the whole person, not just the eternal position of the person, but the life of the person from 
uh, salvation through sanctification unto glorification. And if you're in your life group this week, you need to make that point really clear for everyone in your life group. And I trust that if we can understand that part of the gospel, we stress the exclusivity of the gospel, we recognize the part of our faith that uh, is described as lifelong joyful obedience to God as the outworking of the Holy Spirit's regenerative work in our life, and our faith begins making a lot more sense. And this also helps us if, as we as we do we press in on that doctrine of regeneration. We then get to this third point that the doctrine of regeneration obliterates any kind of fear of deception. If I am regenerate and my life from the moment of salvation is being transformed and conformed and there's the cutting off of the dead things of the vine and there's the pruning and there's the fruitful living of the saint, then there's a real, genuine, substantive understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit and His power in me that I can have assurance because I understood the biblical gospel because Christ opened my eyes to it. He came into my life. I responded by repentance and faith, and He's the Spirit is in me, transforming me, and I have no fear of my eternal destiny because of the regeneration of my soul and the outworking of the Spirit's power in my life conforming me into the image of Christ. And uh, we see when it comes to point number three, we need to make sure we don't deceive ourselves. Uh, we, if, if, we, if we're light on the doctrine of regeneration and the idea of sanctification, uh, a lot of people deceive themselves. And we have this problem in our day where we want to talk about the gate, come to Christ, Trust in Christ, which all absolutely right. There is no salvation apart from Christ. But this idea that we have taken away from the gospel, uh, the fruit that comes from salvation, and then we tell people they don't worry about that because we don't we don't want to fear. Uh, we don't want to fear sounding like a cult, sounding like the Jehovah Witness, sounding like the Mormon, sounding like the Catholic Church. That our fear of somehow uh, hitching our wagon to them, which you aren't if you understand the biblical gospel. We have missed a part of the gospel that's necessary in this life for assurance, and that is that my life has been conformed. And so because we don't do that, there is a lot of deception going on because we tell people, you just need to, uh, you just need to believe. You need to pray that prayer, and you believe, and don't let anybody else act, don't let anybody else tell you anything different. And now we live with people who are deceived, like we saw in Luke 13, starting in verse 22, when we see uh, the these the people here. And we well, let me uh, let me find it for you real quick. No, Luke 13:22. Luke, Luke 13:22. Uh, and as Jesus went around teaching, he said, Strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He said, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then the master will answer, I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Uh, so we know you were familiar with you. We know you. 
But the master says, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. I mean, this concept, understanding, does God know you? Does he know where you come from? Does he know who you are? Because the thing about being redeemed by the Father is you've been purchased and you are a co-heir with Christ and he knows you because you're his. And so we must recognize that we are, if we are going to be saved, that means we're going to be known by God. And we have to ask ourselves, does God know me? I can't deceive myself just simply because I can say I know God. Ask, does God know you? Because if he knows you, his spirit is in you and his spirit is conforming you. And so we don't deceive ourselves. We don't deceive others. We make sure we have a biblical view of the gospel, both in the biblical gospel, the biblical response, and a biblical understanding of fruit and obedience. And then we can have a biblical understanding of deception. And then we can use verses like 2 Corinthians 13, 5 that says, examine yourself, test yourself to make sure you're in the faith. And we can use 1 John in the way that it will help people. As John says in 1 John, I have written these things to you that you would have assurance, that you would know that you are saved and that you know that the Father has sealed you for salvation, that you would know and believe. And we must make sure, life group leaders, that in our groups this week, because undoubtedly in a church our size, there are going to be people who are self-deceived. And we must make sure that we preach and we teach and we talk boldly, but with a soft heart. And so my encouragement to you is this as a life group leader. You need to go into your group prepared to stand fast and hold fast and steady in the truth of the gospel. But you need to have a soft heart. You need to care as much about the soul that you're talking to as God who died for that soul cares for them. And so what we aren't going to do is uh, just give the truth without love. We're going to give the truth in love. We can't forget both of them. That truth and love are mutually inclusive if we're going to use them in a biblical sense. And so maybe help them, even use the a- applications that I gave after the third point. How can I do this? How can I, how can I test and examine myself? Well, examine your works. Right? Are they works that are going to be burned up, as, as Paul says to the Corinthians? Are they the kind of works that, are, that we see in Scripture that he calls us to do? And are they, are they consistent outworkings of the Holy Spirit in our life? Not that have I ever been good, right, so to speak, right? Not that I've ever done a nice thing, but is my life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit as God is working through me and conforming me to His image? And then I take that and I test it against Scripture. Am I living according to the Word of God? And at the and the third thing is I'm going to be real with myself. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to say it's better for me to be honest with myself now to not deceive myself like those in Luke 13 did who are sitting there knocking on the door and they're never going to get in because they deceived themselves because they were familiar with God. They thought that God knew them and God knew them not. And they were cast out of of heaven into an eternity of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we should help our people and all the others that we would interact with the gospel. Examine your works, test them against scripture, and be honest with yourself. And then what's the biblical gospel? What's a biblical response? 
I encourage you guys uh, as you're leading your life group this week, uh, spend a lot of time in your application questions as leaders. Of course, you as leaders uh, that you can help navigate this with expertise, not that you know everything, but that you can handle these application questions in a way where you can field some questions, you can uh, facilitate some good discussion, and you can help people think through the narrow gate and the narrow way and the wide gate and the broad way. And so I encourage you, I pray for you, life group leaders, as you're doing that, that you would be encouraged uh, and that your group would bear fruit from uh, your time and your discussion questions. As you look at these questions, there's not that many of them. We have five, and then then f- question five has a sub-question. And I encourage you, uh, as uh, simple as the second part of question five is, I encourage you to go over that and have people in your group have Bible verses where they can have written down there in their questions of how they can make sure they're not deceived about their eternal destiny. Because we have a lot of thoughts about eternity, but we need to know what God's Word says about it. So I encourage you to make sure you get to 5a where it says, what Bible verses can you use to help make sure people aren't deceived? And have them read verses. Because I'm going to tell you what, your words can come back void, but God's words never can. And so if you're speaking the text of Scripture in your life group, people are able to over and over again hear, what does God say about my eternal security and about self-deception? And what what does the Bible have to say as it is the outpouring of God's Word to us and how we can begin to think through uh, our eternal destination? So I encourage you to go through that one. All of them, I I hope you can in some way or form get to all of them. But if you can, I encourage you make sure that you can get to 5 and 5A. All right, Life Group Leaders, I'm thankful for all of you guys. I think even as we look uh, forward to the rest of this year, our church is growing. Uh, a lot of people joining Life Groups. Uh, we have even a lot of people getting baptized this week. A lot of people stepping up uh, to, uh, to serve and to walk in discipleship. Uh, many people showing interest in going further in their own leadership Uh, for the local body, uh, raising up apprentices, raising up life group leaders, raising up serve team leaders. Uh, It's just a wonderful time to be a part of Compass. And what I want you to do is I want you to thank God for that. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, uh, for the Lord is at hand. And I want to encourage you that uh, there's a lot of things that we can uh, complain about if we think hard enough. Uh, but if we're thinking hard about complaining, why don't we think hard about what we can rejoice about? Uh, you know, I, I want to encourage you with that because you set the tone and the temperature and the speed of the people uh, in our church. As they see you, so they will be. And you have to ask if everyone at our church acted like you and uh, loved like you and served like you and spoke like you. Would our church be better or would our church be worse? And so that's a challenge that I speak even in my own heart regularly is if people served like me, gave like me, spoke like me, loved like me, uh, if they lived like me in their home, if they if they treated their spouse the way I treated my spouse, if they raised their children like me, would our church be better for it or worse for it? And then I need to look at that and be honest with myself as a life group leader, as a pastor as a servant of Christ. So I encourage you guys, take that challenge. Ask yourself some of those questions. 
some announcements as we as we close. Uh, we have our baptism service this next weekend. Encourage your life group leaders. Not only should they be there, uh, or not just life group leaders, everybody in your life group. Uh, encourage them to be there. Encourage them to invite, invite their friends to hear the testimonies of people who have been taken out of darkness into light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This Saturday, we have our men's breakfast from 9 a.m. to 11. Encourage you from men from sixth grade up to make sure that you take time to be at our men's life group. Life group leaders, you your specific announcement, October the 22nd, you have a life group leader meeting uh, here at our church after the 11 a.m. service. Uh, weekly, from now until December 17th, other than some holidays, we have our kids' Christmas choir. Uh, registrations, I believe, are closed down for that, but just a continual reminder, if... Uh, when you're talking to those in your life group, if they have kiddos in choir, make sure they check their calendar that they have been given uh, by CAT to make sure they know when their uh, choir rehearsals are. Uh, we have our final Exploring Compass coming up on November 12th and the 19th. Registrations are open for that, so always encourage uh, those who you see around our church who have not gone through Exploring Compass uh, to make sure they jump into Exploring Compass for our last session this year. Uh, one last encouragement, admonition. You know, there's so many great, wonderful things happening here at our church. So many people are serving. Uh, but there's a lot of people uh, who've gone through Exploring Compass who may not be serving. And so it may be helpful for you to ask the people in your life group, hey, many of you are, uh, say you're a member of our church, and they are, uh, but they're not exercising uh, the servanthood aspect of our involvement as a member of our church. They're not being used used and utilized as a member, as the member of the body, and they're not, uh, as the finger is going to help grasp and type and pick things up, they're not being used as a body part of the church in the mutual upbuilding of our congregation. So I encourage you, ask them, hey, if some of you aren't serving, I want to encourage you to start serving. You can go online to compasshillcountry.org. And if you go to compasshillcountry.org and you say get involved, there's a tab as that drop-down happens to, to pop up, right? When you hover over get involved, you can go to serve at Compass. And they just need to fill out uh, that tab that says sign up to serve. And they can serve in a ton of different places. So I encourage you, make sure the people in your life group are serving. Our church is growing a lot, and we need everybody pulling in the same direction for the glory of God and for the good of his church. All right, Life Group leaders, I encourage you to, to jump on over to the Compass Equip podcast as we uh, give an encouragement to our church, as we go over a couple of the questions that people had about the sermon, and as we prepare them and equip them to jump into your life groups this week. We'll see you again next week.